gosh, I love those big, like loud, like warnings. You are now being recorded. So don't do anything stupid. I love that. <laughs> or maybe in my case, it's no, go ahead, do something silly and ridiculous because that's consistent. So welcome to episode five of the Confessional Professional. I am with somebody I've been wanting to talk to for a long time. She is wonderful. You're going to love her. Uh, my friend, Shelly Brown. She is a keynote speaker. She is the slayer of bull should. And I love that so much. We'll get into that. And she's a future New York Times bestselling author at Weird Girl Adventures. And today we are going to talk about a topic that I think needs to be discussed more at work, which is what if weird wasn't weird? Hey, Shelly. I, I mean, what the weird, wow, finally, right? I was so excited to be able to come here and speak. I am so excited, not was. I am so excited to be here with you, Kathy. I am so happy to have you. For those of you who will, will listen to this later and um, you, you, you need, I will paint a visual for you. Like Shelly is just this big, beautiful, bold personality, which I really love. And we have many mutual friends that are of course equally colorful as personalities and which is so beautiful. And then as I'm looking at Shelly, I just love her beautiful red lipstick. And she's just every bit as colorful as I think how I feel like I've gotten to know her on Clubhouse. So that's always fun. <laughs> But you say, what if weird wasn't weird? And I think that is a beautiful sentiment that we all need. And why aren't we thinking about it that way in companies? Why are, what's holding us back? <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's such a great question. And first thing that I'd love to do is give you my definition of weird. Mm -hmm. So Merriam-Webster defines it as odd or fascinating. So it's kind of a both ends, right? Yeah. Odd or fascinating. Yeah. And I define it as the thoughts and the feelings that we believe separate us. They're actually our greatest connection to each other. And mm -hmm. they're often the way that we serve others. So I have this theory that we can trace back to a time where we're like, I'm weird. And when we think about what we do now or how we serve others or how we make money or what we offer, we can trace it back to that thing that we kind of thought was, oh, that is so weird. But why companies or why organizations don't embrace it or don't, don't think about the notion of what if weird isn't weird is, I think we have this mindset that similarities are what brings us together when I strongly believe that it's our individuality, our differences that are our greatest connection. I love that. And it's interesting because I think a lot of cultures are always talking about how they create belonging and they create all this other stuff. And yet it really, they're more about assimilation <laughs> than they really are. I mean, there's a lot of, like I come out of tech in Silicon Valley and we talk a great game. We talk a great game about how we value the individual. And I think that was always quite honestly, they really wanted to. I think that was the intent. The way it works in practice is we really want people to think alike because the person that doesn't stands out. And that is, that is something that we're really uncomfortable. We always say that we celebrate the individual, but when it comes down to it, 
I think we're almost uncomfortable with the people who stick out and sort of buck the intercultural trend. Uh, so true. And I have a technology background as well. And I come from the ping pong table, let's go to a softball game, drink beer together cultures. And one of the things that I think is so funny, think about like how far away we've gotten from humanizing technology. Yeah. And there's kind of a push back to making making more human technology. When technology was first introduced, it was to, to make lives easier mm-hmm. for people. And so the way we introduced it was, here is this technology that's going to help you as a human being. And now technology is not really introduced that way, although organizations seem to be trending back that way. But when we think about individuality, it's the same thing. We try to put strategies around individuality or around inclusion. It's not a strategy that you can create. It's a feeling, isn't it? Belonging is a feeling. It's not a strategy. It's not something you can drive. That's right. You know, I think that's so funny and so true because I think you described a lot of the conundrum that happens in companies. It's like, all right, we know we need belonging, everybody. Now, how can we drive the KPIs for belonging? And you're like, what the what? It's either you have it or you don't. It's either visceral and everybody feels it or it's not. But they're like, all right, everybody, we got to get we got to increase our belonging by 23 percent. And you're like that. What? (laughs) And if you make a KPI your identity and you're performing really well, then you have an identity and you are now a KPI. Congratulations. Congratulations. (laughs) You did it. You're a big, beautiful KPI. (laughs) Look at your dashboard, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Isn't that funny that we want to metric, we want to metricize, I think, what really is beyond metrics. Is that, so true. you know, that feeling can't be, can't be productized. Yeah. It is so true. And, you know, I think to myself, like, when we were younger, or when I was younger, it was like, the only differentiator we really had was like, whether it was nude or suntan pantyhose <laughs> we were wearing, you know what I mean? <laughs> Right. But, but seriously, there wasn't there. I don't know if we were able to be more individual before there was so much technology, yeah. but as I know in my own career, and you can tell me if you feel the same, the more measured things became and measurements important, performance is important, yeah. business is in business to create revenues. But the more we, we put metrics around things and dehumanize humanity, the more we suppress individuality. And I'm not talking about let my freak flag fly individuality. It's we're suppressing people's abilities to use their real gifts and talents, to express their own point of view and to be heard. And again, it's, it's a feeling. It's not a KPI, a measurement, a strategy. That's right. It, it's it's comical to me in, in a weird kind of perverse way, but that's where comedy lives, right? It's <laughs> it's in the in the huge gap of human behavior between the way we we intent and what actually happens in reality. And it, it is funny because I remember, you know, being in tech and I haven't been in tech in, you know, 11, 12 years when I left to start my own company, but but I can remember, you know, having these very 
ridiculous conversations about how to strategize about you know getting everyone to feel a certain way and i was like see you can't make you can't win over hearts you don't win over hearts with powerpoint slides <laughs> i was like yeah what what are you saying and i think that's that's still very much i think the way that silicon valley wants to it wants a business plan for everything and like you either you either celebrate individuals or you don't but there cannot be there cannot be this strategy and this measured bullet point 15 point plan for being human you either are letting go and experimenting and making mistakes and figuring out what works or you're not yeah you know yeah. i mean it's the same thing like you can't write the experience of what it's going to be like to taste a lemon, you know, because it, when you bite into it, you don't even have to remember that, but you know, the whole sensation, you know what your mouth is. That's a feeling. You can't write strategy around feeling belonging. And I'm going to let you in on one thing that nobody, okay, less than a handful of people know. And I've put weird into action to creating this and, and I've made weird an acronym. So you want to hear what it is? I do, of course. Let's but you can't tell Well, yes, of, of course you can. But this is something that I bring with my keynotes. It's it's the that using weird as a, as an action to to help create the feeling of individuality. And the W is welcoming, and the E is engage, and the I is integrate, and I'm going to give you both and after this. By the way, the R is risk. And the D is dynamic. Mm. So on the individual level, you know, like the talent level of people who maybe are not in a leadership position, I think that using where is an acronym for what we can do for our own selves, are we welcoming our own individuality? Are we engaging, you know, with our own presence, with our own self-awareness? Are we integrating all that we want to be into our lives showing up that way? And what risk are we willing to take knowing that the stakes are high to be who we are, to be authentically who we are. And then D is knowing that it's dynamic and ever changing. And then those same sort of actions for organizationally, like you as a leader, you as a culture, are you rolling out the welcome mat and then rolling it right back up after somebody's onboarded? And anyway, so it's, it's both individual and both an acronym as an action for leadership. So I wanted to share that. I love it. No, I love it so much because I do think it takes time and it takes, I think it takes intent and intention to create that environment that really does practice what it preaches and make people feel welcome. Because I think there's a lot of lip service and I think the intent is actually there. I think there's a lot of very well-intended cultures out there. I think where it becomes um, where rubber meets the road is it's much like, you know, if you read about the base camp debacle, um, there's cultures out there that it sounds good, but then when management feels threatened, then it rolls back the welcome mat. And I think that kind of um, on that mixed messaging is constantly in flow for a lot of employees. Yes, for sure. It, there's a lot of blame. It's like you said a couple of things that really hit home for me. I mean, there's a lot of blame. It's like, 
employees are like, you make it hard for us to be who we are. The culture makes it hard for me to be me. The leader makes it hard for me to be me. And then the leadership is like, you're not performing, you know? And the thing that you said that really resonated too is we give it lip service and yet we all know why it matters. We all know that people who can be authentic or individual at their individual selves at work perform their best, which feeds into the bottom line and has a lot to do with financial savings. So I don't know why with such an impetus, a strong impetus that it is lip service. Yeah, I think it's fear. In my opinion, it's fear. I think for a lot of people who don't feel safe in a culture, there's fear there. I think it's fear for management. Well, what happens when the culture doesn't have you know, loses its sense of kind of um, connectedness. And I think what they're not maybe missing, what they're missing or maybe not getting is that by letting everybody be individual, that's how everybody connects and becomes stronger. I, I think the very thing that they're afraid of is the very thing that if they let go of. Yeah, that F word. And the uh-huh. other thing is, is we think we want, it's kind of like, kind of, I think about it, like in terms of dating, we think we want something until we get it. Mm-hmm. And if it, and also we think we want something, but we want it to look a certain way. And then when it doesn't look that way anymore, we're mm-hmm. like, I don't want it, you know? Right. I think <laughs> that's really true. And when it, when it presents itself and we can't control it, or it, it doesn't um, respond to KPIs in the way that we thought it was going to be easy to manage. <laughs> but truly having a culture that's built on that kind of individ- individuality means does mean letting go a little bit and, and trusting people to that they will do the right thing because the thing that connects everybody is a commitment to respecting the individual and having to trust your people that it will be okay. And that's very scary to management when management thrives on a monolith way of thinking. Um, and that can, be, that can be kind of scary when you're used to managing by KPIs, but people, people, don't, people don't, you can't manage individuality that way. Yeah, and the, the R is the risk. What risk are you willing to take knowing that it could benefit you greatly to, to take that risk? You know, and obviously we're talking all about in the context of work and it's yeah. not about coming in with a meat dress like Lady Gaga. It's, it's yes. point of view, it's individuality. And that isn't always tied in to what people look like, you know, so that fear word does come mm-hmm. into play all the time. But yeah. And it gets at the core too of like identity. It, belonging is an expression of identity too. Identity. And when you come to the workplace, not just your point of view and how you think, but it might just be whatever groups identify with. Yeah. Um, not just, Hey, I'm a, I'm a member of this club and I'm a member of this culture, but maybe I bring whatever identity, single mom or single dad, or, you know, whatever identity you might have in that workplace. And supposedly we say we want everybody to belong. You know, we always talk about bringing your whole self to work. So where does that whole self really actually belong at work when, you know, we talk a good game? The question is, is are we truly wanting that? And it doesn't mean bring, like you said, doesn't mean bring all your crazy to work. (laughs) 
But do we really want somebody's whole self and the way that they actually think? And sometimes I think it's very easy for people to get these mixed messages. You just said something really important, you know, the way people think. And, and I want to share really quickly, I was in a national uh, sales role for a software platform. And I was wanted another position to, to go up to, to, you know, elevate my career. And I was told in confidence that the reason that I didn't get this next position was because I was an out of the box thinker. I mean, can you believe that? I was a top, I was the top producer in the, in the sphere that I was in, in my role. And I was overlooked because I was an out of the box thinker. Yes. And I'm like, okay, people, round holes are round, square pegs are square. <laughs> and there is, and, and all of us, if we think about it, are square in some way, shape or form. There's Great. no perfect hit, hit fit, you know? It's just so strange that this whole notion of group think and people, you're right, that's where the fear comes back. Like mm -hmm. if I feel threatened or I feel afraid or I feel like I'm not thinking the same things that the rest of the people around me are, how can I take agency to empower myself to use my own authentic voice to challenge the status quo? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's both and like I do need to take agency myself but I also need that psychological safety but one important thing that I've discovered is that no amount of psychological safety no incredible leader can give anybody that permission unless they first give it to themselves yeah I think that's true I think the way the way that I've always looked at it and I still relate to your story because having been in in technology for 15 years um I can remember, um, you know, I eventually got promoted into, you know, bigger, bigger teams I was leading, but I can remember yeah. one time not getting a promotion and I was start, I was stunned by it. And they gave it to a guy who brought in less money, uh, did half the work I did, but he didn't threaten the status quo. And I remember thinking, you know, the, the mixed message, especially that I felt like women were getting in tech. It's like, do twice as much work for half as much. But when you do succeed, you're threatening the people around you. Yeah. I remember that message kind of in my mind standing out. And I think the real conundrum that I think a lot of at that time, and I think still to this day, you know, women face of we're working twice as hard for half as much. And then when we do succeed, it's it becomes a threatening metric to the people around her. So what does that say? And I did, I did realize I came to the same conclusion you did, which is psychological safety has, is a, is a double-edged sword, but it's also a two-pronged system. You cannot wait for culture to change. I can't wait for culture to change. I don't have that kind of power. All I could do was make sure that the way that I was, you know, behaving was in alignment with my values. I was moving the company forward. I was doing everything I could to do what I needed to do. And so with that, all I could do is say, all right, I culture needs to provide to some degree of that and make good on its promise. At the same time, we should not sit here and wait for permission to come. <laughs> we yeah. should not wait for that memo because it's not going to happen. Yeah. We're not going to get the memo. <laughs> and oh. 
important. Yeah. So it's the yes and, right? So yes, culture does need to provide the psychological safety. Leaders need to have emotional intelligence, self-awareness, yeah. yes and, mindfulness. And so does talent and, and, and individuals have to take that, that responsibility themselves too, so that when everybody shows up well, there is an ecosystem that allows for people to be mm. at their best. And I think this pandemic is going to really, really push a lot of organizations into thinking about this because people have had 14 months to be essentially be themselves in a lot of respects and have had the opportunity to reevaluate what they want and people are not willing to suffer in that way anymore i don't i mean a lot of people aren't willing to suffer that way and organizations it's going to continue costing a lot of money and a lot of turnover and a lot of of you know optimization issues if, if we don't really take a serious look at this. I agree. And so I think in that vein of like, I think it is a top down and bottoms up both um, kind of two pronged approach. If we think about what, going back to your acronym, which I love so much, Thanks. what can, what should culture start to do? And then we'll talk about the individual agency because I do agree with you on that. What can companies do? How do they gut check and not metrics? You know, how do they get out of that metrics driven mindset and into the visceral, like, how can we really gut check that we're making a place that's safe for people to come to work and bring their individual kind of point of view and that there is some level of safety? What, what can they do? That's funny. You're like, what should companies do? And should it? I like, I'm a non-shoulder. I know you are. <laughs> but I, but, I, but I, I also say that as somebody who, having lived it, and I know you'll appreciate this, it's like companies bear some responsibility too. Yes. I'm not going to let them get out of that. Uh-huh. 100%. <laughs> no, no, no. You're right. You're right. You're right. And and by the way, quick bullshit definition, the place where you are, but the, the bullshit is the space between where you are and where you think you should be or where yeah. people are telling you should be is bullshit because it causes suffering. But what do yeah. I think organizations may want to invite? <laughs> You're nicer than I am. I'm like, that's it. Should get it. Get it. Let's you know it. what you have to do. Your MFs. No. <laughs> what you have to do and listen to me because I'm telling you what you have to do. That's it. You use the operative word and it's, responsibility, shifting the mindset of blame, that people are not performing, that individuality is breed separateness. We need to do a mind shift that individuality connects us. Individuality brings us together. And so, I mean, what I, what I can do and what we all can do is offer people their own opportunity to reflect on their own differences and how those differences bring them together mm-hmm. right so that so that they can understand the feeling of what it feels like mm-hmm. beyond a strategy beyond driving and get out of the driver's seat <laughs> you know <laughs> You want to drive inclusivity, but it's not drivable because you can't drive feelings. Yes. It's so, so 
It, yeah. It's so true. I think I, it is comical. And, and again, we say this laughingly and I totally get where Shelly's come from. I, I, I get you because, um, because there is a shared responsibility. I'm all about yes and. So yeah. yes, I do feel that management bears some responsibility to do what they need to do. And it does not, it does not ex, um, get us off the hook individually for doing what we need to do and step yeah. up and own it. And so I'm a big believer in yes and because I do think it is a shared responsibility. And that agency, that self-agency is so important because nobody gets to take power from you or give you power. Yes. You do yes. that for yourself. Unfortunately though, people come to, to work with their narratives yes. that they bring with them. And yes. so, you know, we, we expect work to be our family that's going to reparent us into thinking like really great stuff about ourselves, right? Yes. After what level, <laughs> what level uh, you are in an organization, you bring your own shit with you to the party. So it is things like improv and mindfulness and in, in emotional intelligence and self awareness so that we know how we're being so that we can show up better. All of us, together mm-hmm. you know and some of that does have to do with what am i feeling right now what and and bring the ability to have that feelings at work as weird and ew as that sounds coming from you know an 80s culture it's still the 80s culture was what is the what brought gave birth to our leaders now and yeah. there's still such a weird screwed up thing about separation that that can't be separated i yeah i i think you're right and i think the mindfulness about i 100 agree we all bring our narratives to work your manager brings you know his or her narrative their narrative we bring our own individual narratives and i think if we're looking for a culture to give us a sense of approval it will never happen i think what we do need though is we do need parameters articulated parameters of all right this is the boundary with which you have to experiment and i think those are just those are just good management conversations yeah so it's not about you know getting the love you didn't get that you should have had from your mama or whatever it's not that it's just just knowing the, the purview of you know when i'm running a team what can they go experiment on without my approval and they, 10 layers of signatures i think there are certain parameters they need to know how much freedom do they have to operate in and i think uh, as employees we also have to bear some responsibility too for showing up and taking these small risks and also mm-hmm. being respectful to each other like you know yes and and having each other's backs as an improv exercise is about being mindful of how we affect each other in a, in an organization if i show up and really have somebody's back and listen to them they're going to be a better self cuz they're going to feel heard yeah and i think there is a there is a responsibility that i think we just owe each other as humans a shared human you know humanity at work to have each other's backs and i think that's the and i love it because i think i think Improv is a set of tools I know for me that have brought about for me greater mindfulness. It's very much the same thing as far as I'm concerned because it is in the moment. It is present moment awareness. And I was telling you offline that um, I have a, I have a, 
session called Rockstar Mindfulness, where I really, I use rock music to help demystify what the heck this whole mindfulness thing is, because still people are still in this mindset that it's woo-woo and that it's weird. I mean, still, and, and it's hard to believe. Or they also think that meditation is the only way and they have certain sort of preconceived notions about it. And I think I I did some improv at Second City where you where you lived for a while and and absolutely loved it. And the tie in between the two is so strong. And the thing is, being the driver of your awareness, knowing where you are in the moment, whatever you want to call it, we all have the ability to be the, in the driver's seat of our of our thinking and of our ability to listen and of our, our ability to be present and to bear witness to how our crazy minds make, make judgments and think about things. And so those are the things that are going to help shift and change work for people if they're willing to explore it. I really love that. I think it's it's interesting because I never really thought about the word mindfulness very much. And I think about um, looking back at all the years of got over two decades of doing improv work and now teaching improv and all that other stuff in business capacities and all and you know even on just pure stage. Well, Zoom right now, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's my theater right now. But yeah. but really looking back on that, really seeing that everything I learned truly was about being present in the moment so that I can make a choice. I, may, I can make a choice to, as to how I show up or course correct or who I am in this moment. Yes. Because in every moment to moment, I am empowered to make that choice. And I really realize how much improv is just training people to be in that present space. And it shifts everything. You're, it's not about the past. It's not about what's gonna happen in the future. And recognizing that the agency that we all have is in this present reaction to how we behave in this moment. And it is it is literally rewired my brain and I'm so grateful for that. Same, same, same. And, and, you know, when you say the word mindfulness, there's still people who think it's about calm. And I'm like, no, it's about how you show up for each other. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great thing to, help cultivate calm, but nobody gives a crap if you're calm, if you don't show up well yeah. with other people. So mindfulness is, is really more to me about how you're showing up yes, yes, or with other people, but that's why it matters at work For sure. or improv. For sure. And the only person, and I remember when I first started improv um, years ago, year, eons ago, right? When Jesus was a baby. And like, I think <laughs> when Del Close was still at Second City. Anyway. <laughs> I never had and alive and alive, by the way. That's right. No, I, I, I never had Del Close, but um, a lot of the people he taught, I, I had. Yeah, yeah. And the thing about it is, one of the things that I realized is how much of day to day we are in a narrative space in the past or the future and how little we spend in the present. And when you make that shift, really how much of it is just making that choice in that moment. And really, I didn't realize that, you know, I can remember um, early on, I think, um, and I'll tell this because this is a really true thing. A lot of women of a certain era in improv um, 
you know, it was very male dominated. It still kind of is, but it's changing. It's changing, but it was very um, white male dominated. And when I first started, like men would drive over women in scenes. I mean, you just, you just were driven over. You, um, you were in doubt as a girlfriend or wife. You were never an astronaut or a pilot or CEO. So I remember having, and I don't know if you know her, um, uh, one of the best improv instructors I'll ever come across, which is Susan Messing from Annoyance. I know her name and, and Chicago. She is Chicago. Chicago. She is a queen. Let me tell yeah. you something. And I was in my, probably my mid twenties when I first had her. And she just looked at me and she said, you're a badass broad. You're a badass broad. Why are you letting this shit happen? And she's like, no, no, no. Why are you letting this shit? And if you're not having fun, Kathy, you're the asshole. And I, went, and I stood with, it stayed with me for like a day. And then the next day she said, did you think about what I said? I was like, I think I, I think I get it. And I realized that, you know, her point was super right. I mean, it was sort of in your face, but I think it really is about, you know, finding, making the choice yourself. Like the, the men were never going to endow the women. And there was much worse endowments for black women. I won't even go there. You, 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 your head would shoot off your body. Um, but um, so I remember uh, going, okay, you know, I don't have to take this. So I just started endowing, okay, you endow me as a mom. And then I would self-endow as, I, okay, right. Well, when I'm done with that Tang promotion, because I have to head to the moon two to, in two days. And like, I started self-endowing the world I wanted to see. Yeah. Then they couldn't do anything. They couldn't do shit about it. Yeah. yeah. And, and Susan Messing was like, that's what I'm talking about. So I started self-endowing the yeah. world I wanted. And it empowered me so much. And I realized... I don't have to take whatever endowment they throw at me. I can take, and she had a saying, she used to say, get yourself off first. <laughs> I love that. And I, I and I that. love, yeah, it stayed with me though. And that lesson stayed with That's me. That's a mentor. That yeah. is a damn mentor because yes. it, it, the way I define a mentor is they say shit to you and you actually implement it and you remember it forever. So if you're lucky enough to have somebody say some things that you yep. remember for the rest of your life and not only remember them, but practice them, that is mentoring. And that makes a big difference in people's lives. Oh, it stayed with me. I mean, two decades later, I'm still, I still think about what she said and it, 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 actually shaped me into a stronger performer and player who doesn't take scraps. I, I am an empowered woman. I get on stage. I'm, I'm gonna do me. And it shifted something in me and I'm forever grateful for that. Um, yeah. And I think the same is true. And I, I extend that to everything else. It's that mindfulness of saying agency won't come to you via permission slip. You know, what's interesting though, she offered that to you and you did that. A lot of what gets in the way is that, that again, that damn F word, that fear word when we're like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. And until, you know, we can take that sort of control alt delete for ourselves, no matter where you are in an organization, if you're worried about your own numbers, you're gonna, that's gonna trickle down. Yeah. That stress, that anxiety, that fear is gonna trickle down to everybody that you oversee. And unless you can reel that in and, and be present, you're not gonna have 
these people who are going to look at you like you are a good leader, like you are a mentor, like you're taking care of them, like you're seeing them as a person because you're too wrapped up in your own futurizing of what happens if this doesn't happen and I need to make this happen, that you cannot be present for your people. So again, I think, I think this presence thing keeps on keeps on showing up so it absolutely does and i want to just really quickly get back to something brilliant that you you talked about earlier which is i love this idea of bullshit and how we should all over ourselves <laughs> and why should really robs us in so many ways um and and that trap of should that we all sometimes fall into and how do we get, how do we get out of that yeah it's again it comes back to being in the moment and, and paying attention to how giving attention, somebody told me, reminded me, giving attention is more gentler than paying attention. Mm. So I kind of let go of paying for a long time and I just said it. So I'm going to be thoughtful about that. But that just happened right now because I'm aware of how my mind thinks. And, mm. and that is a practice and that is a skill. So being able to slay the bullshit comes from being bearing witness to how you think slowing down enough to know that when you hear a thought that is a should thought to say I get a choice around this yes or no or let it go I think our minds are like an Amazon shopping cart Kathy and <laughs> If we take our cart through all the aisles, we're just like, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. It's the same thing with our thoughts. You think one crappy thought and you're like, oh, and then I'm just going to put other crap in this cart. I'm going to run around with a full cart of crap. But then you're like, oh, wait a minute. There's a delete and there's a save for later. I might not be able to take this thought and delete it, but... I get a choice to maybe like think about it and save it for later. So it's the Amazon shopping cart of the mind thing. I love that <laughs> I love it so much. It makes so much sense. It's a great analogy and it works. Right. And I think once in a while we got to go out and clear those old things and we got to clear up space and get rid of the stuff that's not serving us. And don't go down the should aisle. Cause you'll grab everything. Oh, I will. <laughs> Girl, I will. <laughs> Stuff I don't need. It's like going, it's like me going to Target. It's like I just came in for two things and it's like 50 items later. All right. Well, if you're going to shop in the should aisle, then your awareness needs to follow behind you so it can put the stuff in the delete and save for later. I think it's true. It's so true at any given moment. No. Um, as we're sort of wrapping up here, um, what's what's one thing that you think, and we kind of, we, we've talked a lot about mindfulness and presence and how that really does help us. And that is such a powerful tool. Is there any kind of final thought you'd leave with people on how to really kind of take control a little bit and, and really exercise that agency? Because I really do think that what we're talking about with owning your weird and weird and individuality as the key to, to belonging and connection, um, how do we leave, what, what's something people can, can do that's easy? I think mindfulness takes a practice. It takes a little bit of- It does, of it yeah. does. I think one of the things that I often think about is we feel like we have to go from A to Z and there's no B, C, D, et cetera. So we feel like we have to go from, from being one way to being all the way a different way. And so for me, allowing our weird 
the reason I don't say embrace, I use the word allow because allow is, is not saying it, that I have to love it, not saying I have to like it, not saying I have to accept it. But when we think about allowing, it's giving permission and we stand at the doorway of possibilities. So those other things might happen. So we don't have to go from this sucks to I need to love everything about this. There's increments in between and we don't even have to get to Z to, to find some kind of peace around that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. And we don't have to, I love that don't, that sense of not having to love your weird because some of us have a very complex relationship with our weird. <laughs> we do. And it's okay. And it's okay. That is a, that is a relationship that grows over time. And so it's okay to feel that way. Um, let's talk briefly, just a couple like minute or two about your book. Oh, thanks. thanks. Yeah. I have a book coming out. It's called Weird Girl Adventures from A to Z. It's not just for women. It's for men too. It's it's a label, not a lifestyle. And it's a really fun read of, of stories that are kind of like a roller coaster to a freight train down a rabbit hole. And it's okay. I'm fine. They're funny. They're aching. They're really human. And it's the anti, it's the anti how-to book. It's like, you're a human. I'm a human. There's stuff that you're going to relate to. And it just kind of gives people permission to be human. And it comes out June 22nd. June 22nd, Weird Girl Adventures, Shelly Brown. Shelly, where can the people find you? And they're like, she's cool because she is everybody. Thank um, you. Where can the people find you? So I am on LinkedIn at Shelly Brown and I am at Weird Girl Adventures. Uh, dot com soon to be Shelly Brown official, but it's weirdgirladventures.com and also on Instagram at weirdgirladventures. Weirdgirladventures on Insta and weirdgirladventures.com, everybody. I'm Kathy Clotes Guest. I am the host of uh, The Confessional Professional, and you can find me at keepingithuman.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, and I will happily accept. I'd love to extend the uh, conversation. So, Shelly, thank you so much. Thank you. This was amazing. I really appreciate it. It was awesome. It was fun. It was fun. All right, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode.